After passing through, Muniaha, the great sages, shut six asajamana without being much attracted. Without being much attracted. Kaksha. Walls. Walls. Samana. Samana. Equal. Vyasau. Age. Atta. Thereafter. Saptamayam. At the seventh gate. Deva. Two Vaikunta dormant. Chakshata saw Grihita carrying Gadal maces Parajya most valuable Kayura bracelets Kundala earrings Kirita helmets Vitanka beautiful Vesha Garments. Garments. Translation and purport by his divine grace, Srila Prabhupada. Thank you, Srila Prabhupada. After passing through the six entrances of Vaikuntha Puri, the Lord's residence, without feeling astonishment at all the decorations, they saw at the seventh gate two shining beings of the same age, armed with maces and adorned with most valuable jewelry, earrings, diamonds, helmets, and garments. Etc. Please repeat. After passing through the six entrances of Vaikuntha Puri, after passing through the six entrances of Vaikuntha Puri, the Lord's residence, the Lord's residence, without feeling astonishment at all the decorations, without feeling astonishment at all the decorations, they saw at the seventh gate, they saw at the seventh gate, two shining beings of the same age, two shining beings of the same age, armed with maces. And adorned with most valuable jewelry. And adorned with most valuable jewelry. Earrings, Earrings diamonds, diamonds, helmets, helmets garments, etc. Purport. The sages were so eager to see the Lord within Vaikuntha Puri that they did not care to see the transcendental decorations of the six gates, which they passed one after another. But at the seventh door, they found two dormans of the same age. The significance of the dormans being of the same age is that in the Vaikuntha planets, there is no old age. So, no one, so one cannot distinguish who is older than whom. You know? Everyone's the same. Just the way it looks in the picture, the ISKCON pictures of these Vaikuntha beings. Blue form, they're all the same age. The inhabitants of Vaikuntha are decorated like the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Narayana, with Shanka Chakra, Gada, and Padma, Conch Wheel, Club, and Lotus. Om Ajnanatim Nandasya Ganam Jana Shalakaya I was born in the darkness of ignorance, our spiritual master, Shri Prabhupada, opening my eyes with the torchlight and knowledge, offering my respectful obeisance unto him and all members of Shri Prabhupada. After passing through the six entrances of Puri, the Lord's residence, without feeling astonishment at all the decorations they saw at the seventh gate, two shining beings of the same age, 
armed with maces and adorned with the most valuable jewelry, earrings, diamonds, helmets, garments, etc. So this is leading up to a interesting pastime where there's um, a little confrontation. Maybe all of you, most of you know the story. Ends up being some resentment or some offense taken. And there's a little pastime that, that the Lord's in, and we know what's going to happen. The demons are ended up being born and whatnot. It's reminding me of this unusual behavior by Radharani. Some of you may know better than me, but you know, Radharani is the emblem of transcendental love and um, service and she's so um, focused on her service to in pleasing Krishna that she doesn't think of herself so much but this pastime comes up where from what I remember Krishna was well there's Vrinda Devi who's the what is Vrinda Devi? She's Leela Shakti or something like that in the spiritual world. She's, we talked about it before, she's like the party planner. Mm -hmm. She enhances all these things. She does these things that I remember reading that she, she passes notes between Radha and Krishna, you know, love notes and things like that. She carries them and she, uh, you know, when, when Radharani comes to some private place, she she arranges things so Krishna gets there at the same time. And, you know, she does so many things, and she's so focused on all this. But one time Krishna wanted to benefit her. And Radharani also appreciates her so much that, in fact, one time she had her married to Krishna. It's another thing. I'm sure Dero knows he's so much better than me. But she, uh, Radharani arranged a marriage between Vrinda Devi and, and Krishna at one time. So, um, but... Krishna, wanted, appreciating Vrinda, wanted to show some mercy on her. He he had some private, intimate thing with Vrinda Devi in the forest, you know. But this was all in a plan that Radharani would see this and get upset. It's not in character for Radharani to get upset about that. And it's not going to be a, in character for these doormen in Vaikuntha to do what they do to the Kumaras. So it's a similar thing. I was just couldn't help but think of it. It's an interesting pastime, and that pastime of Radharani's getting angry is also said to be one of the greatest benedictions to, to the living entities, because what takes place is, is uh, Vrinda Devi takes this curse to come to the material world. She takes, she ends up being, uh, you know, becoming the Tulsi plant, and it's so easy for us to approach Krishna and ple please him by just worshiping Tulsi Devi, so, you know, we do that every morning, that's why. Um, so there's always a reason the Lord has a plan, sometimes we have to go along as we know and see what the plan's going to be. Um, so, uh, what's the say now? So these Kumaras, myself, I was trying to understand the Kumaras a little more, before we get into this pastime, who they are and why, you know, what we should appreciate about them. 
There's some really nice statements in the fourth canto, 22nd chapter, when the Kumaras come to meet King Prithu. King Prithu is, this, is an incarnation of God, who is, the, from what I remember, an incarnation of the of kingly ruling power, that potency that, that Krishna is a source of. He incarnates as this king and demonstrates for everyone um, you know, what ruling power should be like. And the, the Kumaras who are traveling around, they come to see him after some sacrifice and whatnot. So that's described at meetings, described in chapter 22, the fourth canto. And it's super nice to, to see those statements, the sweet words and the, uh, that are um, all through there and the appreciations of, of King Prithu, the Kumaras. And then what they have to say, and the questions, why, what he wants to ask them, and, and how they respond, and whatnot. And also, in this, <laughs> I wish everybody could, could look at this picture. In the fourth canto, there's a picture of King Prithu worshipping these little four Kumaras, and they're just, you can't believe it, they're so uh, baby-like. But actually, they're... Let me read what I, I saw online. I admit some of this came from, uh, what do they call it, Wikipedia. Well, re reading through it, huh? A lot of the things about Vaishnavism and Vaishnava philosophy, things like that, that are on Wikipedia are written by devotees. Yeah, I, it, I got the idea that this might be written by devotees and they were really careful to not overemphasize the name Krishna, they, they talk about Vishnu, because so many people want to believe Vishnu is the source of Krishna. So they, they talk about how the, the Kumaras are you know, servants of Vishnu. But there's one place in there that says Vishnu or Krishna in there. So it really sneaked it in there. So I thought, like you said, you know, it seems to be kind of bona fide. Um, one thing they say is that these four Kumaras, Senecas, Sanandana, Sanatana, Sanatkumara. They have respective things that they are presiding over. Sanaka is a god of walking, apparently. And he has a certain mount. His mount their mounts are all birds. Anybody can guess what his bird mount is? Sanaka Kumara? The eagle. It's <laughs> a good one. Sandana. The next Kumar is the god of the curse. These Kumars are going to curse these doorkeepers. But one of them, he's the, yeah, he's the, you know, what do you call it, the expert for medical curses. So they should not have disrespected them. They laughed, and these doorkeepers are going to laugh at them. <laughs> there is, you little boys. What are you doing? You're naked. You think you're just going to walk in there by Kunta? So they, they disrespected him and they got cursed. Sanatan is the god of respect. So they almost will do something about that. Sanat Kumar is the god of Tapasya. Their mounts are the eagle, vulture, nightingale, and sparrow. This Sanat, Sanat Kumar, the god of Tapasya, was the one who Moses spoke to King Prithu in the fourth canto, fourth canto. So the Kumaras, have we talked about this lately, the, the, who the Kumaras are, any details about them? I don't think we have much. 
haven't recently declassified. Um, so when Brahma was taking, undertaking the task of creation, he first created some beings from his own body to help him. And so the first ones that were created were from where? Anybody know? Well, I'll tell you that the Kumars were the first ones created, the beings that were to help him in creation. Zero's pointing up here. That's right. The Kumars were the first beings created, and they came from Lord Ramah's mind. Um, he ordered them to aid him in creation, but coming from his mind, they had the um, quality of sattva, of purity. So when they came out, they didn't want to be involved in creating progeny and things like that. They refused, actually, and Ramah got angry. But they wanted to devote their lives to worshiping Lord Vishnu and teaching and celibate life. So, anyway, that's a later thing for us to learn about is what happened when Brahma got angry. Um, he said that the, that the Gemaras learned the Vedas at age four and five. There's some accounts that, that um, there may be five Kumaras, not just four. It's also sometimes they're listed among the seven sages. <clears throat> it's said that knowledge comes to these seven sages of itself without dependence on study or exertion. So I guess they're kind of, you know, they're in the, they're hooked up to the current somehow. They get knowledge without making the effort for it. There's a statement that the sages are wedded to the religion of liberty. Who knows what liberty is? Property and liberty. Yeah. Property is taking sense gratification and eventually getting knowledge from that and eventual liberation. But the higher path is said to be liberty or just when a person knows, no, I shouldn't take those things, they're not helping me in my real advancement. So the path of liberty is there. The Vaishnav Hinduism is you know, based on this liberty principle. So these seven sages, including the four Kumars, are wedded to the religion of liberty. Um, and the four Kumaras, they said that they, I thought this was very interesting, they traveled through the material and spiritual world, they recite a certain mantra. Anybody happen to know what that is? I didn't know it, I just read it. You know, like uh, Narad Muni, what does he chant? As he's flying about. That's what I understand. That's his. Jane. All right, there's me, that's all in there. <laughs> so they, uh, the four Kumars here, however, recite Hari Shadanam, Hari Shadanam, Hari Shadanam. Shadanam means come on to the G, you know that. Shelter, yeah. So Hari, so 
and he takes shelter of Lord Hari. They chant that, and they also sing praises of Lord Vishnu. These hymns and glories of Vishnu serve as their only food. I thought that was kind of nice, interesting. There's um, some statements about the four Kumaras, specifically about Sanat Kumara and Mahabharata. He's mentioned as a great sage who dispels doubt. He's a preceptor of matters affecting yoga. Um, he performed extensive tapasya near Haridwar, or Gangadwar. That's where the, some of the great sacred rivers of Yoga they meet at Haridwar. There's a certain Tirtha there where he performed extensive tapasya to, to attain great ascetic powers. So it says these uh, Kumaras are possessed of these little little boys. You've got to see this picture here and to think that these things are, you know, envies. And how much we're, you know, fooled by appearances. I just have to remind myself how much I'm fooled constantly by appearances of people. You just never know. So this is a good lesson for me anyway. I'm sure all of you are more advanced and um, not bothered by such things. Um, so does uh, anybody have anything to add? Anybody know anything about the tomorrow? You want to add? Otherwise I'm going to the fourth canto section, which is so nice. Oh, yeah. Rishikesh and Haridwar are on, both on the banks of the Ganga, but they're up in northern India. Mm -hmm. So they're cooler places, like in the summer. The mm -hmm. <coughs> who live in Vrindavan, but it used to be 140 degrees. Ah, in the summer, they'll, they'll leave in May and June. And they'll even go down to South India, <laughs> which is tropical. And Always the same, but I bought the Rishikesh and Haidwar, which are kind of the foothills, the beginning of the you know, higher elevation terrain, and then okay. right on the bank of the Ganga. Papa was Papa that stayed. Yeah, he was in the Haidwar. Yeah, there's that picture of Papa on a boat, relaxing on the lake near Haidwar. Is that? It's on the back of the It's in the foothills though, I like that. I picture that. Thank you. <clears throat> so, uh, chapter 22 is Prithi Maharaj is meeting with the four from Mars. So it's so nice just to read through these verses as they are and not refer to what you think that's what I was planning to do if it's okay. Starting with text one, the great sage Maitreya said, while the citizens were thus praying for the most powerful king Prithu, the four Kumaras, who were as bright as the sun, arrived on the spot. Seeing the glowing effulgence of the four Kumaras, the masters of all mystic power, the king and his associates. 
could recognize them as they descended from the sky. Seeing the four Kumars, Prithu Maharaj was greatly anxious to receive them. Therefore, the king, with all his officers, very hastily got up, as anxiously as the conditioned soul whose senses are immediately attracted by the most material nature. <laughs> so, where else are you going to hear that Bhagavatam? That has to be that kind of analogy. When the great sages accepted their reception according to the instructions of the Shastras and finally took their seats offered by the king, the king, influenced by the glories of the sages, immediately bowed down. Thus he worshipped before Kumaras. After this, the king took the water which had washed the lotus feet of the Kumaras and sprinkled it over his head, over his hair. By such respectful actions, the king, as an exemplary personality, showed how to receive a spiritually advanced personality. The four great sages were elder Lord Shiva, and when they were seated on the golden throne, they appeared just like fire and blazing on an altar. Maharaj Prithu, out of his great gentleness, and respected and began to speak with greater strength as follows. King Prithu spoke, My dear great sages, auspiciousness personified, it is very difficult for even the mystic yogis to see you. Indeed, you are very rarely seen. I do not know what kind of pious activity I performed for you to grace me by appearing before me without difficulty. This is the kind of language devotees like to pick up and say to each other, they're kind of joking, you know. Like two devotees sitting together at breakfast, one of them says, my dear Prabhu, I do not know what kind of price activity I performed for you to grace me by your appearing without difficulty. <laughs> you know, they, so they love that kind of language. <clears throat> I'm not intelligent enough to even say something like that. Um, any person upon whom the Brahmins and Vaishnavas are pleased can achieve anything which is very rare to obtain in this world as well as after death. That's kind of an amazing statement. Any person upon whom the Brahmanas and Vaishnavas are pleased can achieve anything which is very rare to obtain in this world as well as after death. Not only that, but also one also receives the favor of the auspicious Lord Shiva and Lord Vishnu who accompany the Brahmanas and Vaishnavas. Prithu Maharaj continued, although you are traveling in all planetary systems, people cannot know you just as they cannot know the super soul. Although he is within everyone's heart as a witness of everything. Even Lord Brahman Rashiva cannot understand the super soul. A person who is not very rich and is attached to family life becomes highly glorified when the same persons are present in his home. The master and servants who are engaged in offering the exalted visitors water, a sitting place, paraphernalia for reception, are glorified. And the home itself is also glorified. So everybody gets to take a part in the devotional service in ways big and small. I was just reminding them there different ones of us who have been the modern G offering water to the speaker, and all these little things, you know, if you come up, 
Remember the nun who gets this service all the time, but probably trying not to the Vaishnavas. All these little things, they're not forgotten, they're not insignificant. You're here in the temple and you do these things. You get it. You don't know the benefit, like people were saying the other day. Mother Sundami is actually doing so much service. Somebody, I'm surprised people don't come and take that service. You know, it's a sweet thing to, to give Chinamita to the devotees. Um, on the contrary, even though full of all, all opulence and material prosperity, any householder's house where the devotees of the Lord are never allowed to come in, and where there is no water for washing their feet, is to, is to be considered a tree in which all venomous serpents live. Can you imagine the scene of all the Tucson is not that big of a, of a town, is it? How much wealth could be here? But there's thousands of huge homes up there in the foothills. Seems like when you look. Um, this statement here says, any householder's house where the devotees of the Lord are never allowed to come in, and where there is no water for washing their feet to serving them, as they were supposed to be received in, according to the later tradition, is to be considered what? A tree. A tree in which all venomous serpents live. <laughs> uh, Maharaj Prithu offers his welcome to the four Kumaras, addressing them as the best of the Brahmins. He welcomed them, saying, From the beginning of your birth, you strictly observed the vows of celibacy. And although you are experienced in the path of liberation, you are keeping yourself just like small children. Richard Maharaj inquired from the sages about persons entangled in this dangerous material existence because of their previous actions. Could such persons, whose only aim is sense gratification, be blessed with any good fortune? Richard Maharaj continued, My dear sirs, there is no need to ask about your good and bad fortune because you are always absorbed in spiritual bliss. The mental concoction of these auspicious and inauspicious does not exist in you. I am completely assured that personalities like you are the only friends for persons who are blazing in the fire of material existence. I therefore ask you how in this material world we can very soon achieve the ultimate goal of life. I was talking to my friend Robert, who so good to see him yesterday. Get all this nice trimming out there and just made it look so great. Spent a few hours, I think, cleaning up and trimming all that stuff. So he's kind of filling me in on what's been, what he's been doing. He was saying how, you know, he, he sees a lot of the, you know, how fake a lot of the so called enjoyment is out there and how, you know, nice it would be to be. You know, kind of able to get forget things and live in a situation where you could have more spiritual life. Maybe he also needs some of his material. I don't know. You know, he's a super nice person with a lot of insights and realizations. But um, while I was listening to him say these things, I was really realizing in my own life how much you know. I had these friends that I thought were just the dearest people in the world. Oh, I've been so blessed to have such nice friends in my life. I thought that was one of the things that was been so amazing. I had nice parents, nice friends, and 
my school in New York City and whatnot. But just like here, it says there are no real friends. Now, gradually, I could, maybe it took 40 years, 30, 40 years to realize that these friends are, you know, they're not, they, they may love you, but they don't know what you need sometimes. And they, so how can they, do they really love you? You know, the, the, that old question. So this is saying something about that, was it? It says the personalities like you are the only friends for persons who are blazing the fire of material existence. I therefore ask you how in this material world we can very soon achieve the ultimate goal of life. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is always anxious to elevate the living entities who are his parts and parcels. And for their special benefit, the Lord travels all over the world in the form of self-realized persons like you. The great sage Maitreya continued, thus Sanat Kumar, the best of the celibates, after hearing the speech of Pitya Maharaj, which was meaningful, appropriate, full of precise words and very sweet to hear, smiled with full satisfaction and began to speak as follows. So then the king is uh, going to be told about, the king wanted to know how can a conditioned soul be relieved from the situation of birth and rebirth and rebirth. Or is it possible? If I can just summarize it, we're getting kind of late. Uh, what I wrote down was the summary is that the advice from Sanatkumar says that Vishnu is the refuge of all and grants liberation from rebirth. His worship frees one from material desires and lust. One should be free. Oh, he gives these these kind of four instructions to Maharaj Prithvi. One should be freed from material objects. I remember ever hearing that specifically stated. We know that, we, you know, for sense gratification, there must be objects so that you kind of, and to simplify your life, you kind of get rid of the objects. But it was kind of new to me to see this was the instruction for Maharaj Prithvi. One should be freed from material objects. Live simple life, simple life of non-violence and devotion to Vishnu. That was the second instruction. Third, follow te follow the teachings of a good guru and undergo the self-realization. Follow the teachings of a good guru and undergo self-realization. And while all bodies are subject to destruction, the soul and God within us are eternal. It is paramount that one surrender to God, Krishna or Vishnu. This is where you can kind of see that, that Wikipedia information was you know, they put Krishna in there a little bit, which is wonderful for us. Um, you know, this chapter is just full of nice statements and, and stuff, but I'll just I guess this is 8.51 stop. Tomorrow is the appearance day of Sri Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. also brought this book in case I had time. It's got this uh, amazing section on um, something that happened. Some Buddhist monks came to 
about this emphasize about the Thakur. It's kind of interesting. But they have this this temple, one of their main temples is at this place called Bodhgaya, which is in the state of Bihar, near Bengal. It's, one of, it's a place where the Buddha achieved enlightenment, I guess. So they got this huge temple in Bihar. And somehow or another, for hundreds of years, so-called, well, Hindus took over the charge of that temple. I don't know how that could have happened. The Buddhists were annoyed because the the Hindus at least thought they were themselves as Vaishnavas and they would put Tilak on the Buddha, on the deity. And, and they were also sacrificing animals in front of the deity. So there was some kind of Hindus thinking they were Vaishnavas putting Tilak, but they were doing these things so that these monks came to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur and wanted his help in getting the Buddhists themselves established was you know, in charge of this temple. And uh, I hope we can hear some nice things tomorrow about Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, but I thought it was really nice the way he dealt with these Buddhist monks. He, uh, by the way, it says this was in May 1925, two well-educated Buddhist monks, one Nepali and one Silanese, what is Silan? That's an island off of southern India, something. Is that Sri Lanka? Sri Lanka? Okay. Oh, same place. I see. They were sent by their Acharya to Sri Gaudiya Mat, but to, to present a plea to Srila Saraswati Thakur. So their Acharya, the teacher, sent these two monks, and he had gone to hear Saraswati Thakur sometime in the past in Calcutta, give some talks. About you know Vaishnavism and what I don't know why he did that, but he felt like he is interesting. He's Buddhist, but he wanted to hear these things, and he remembered Saraswati Thakur, so he he thought, well, he'll help us resolve this thing with the Hindus. They're sacrificing animals in front of the Buddha and all this stuff. We we got to get we have to stop this. <clears throat> so Saraswati Thakur had to talk to these monks who came. Um, so he explains his position to these monks. He says, certainly Buddha Dev is recognized as an avatar of Vishnu, as is clear from Srimad Bhagavatam 1, 3, 24. Third, third chapter is what? Krishna is the source of all incarnations. 24, maybe we know that. Vaishnavas respect Lord Buddha, yet with a different understanding of the Buddhists, knowing that his teaching is atheistic and therefore to be rejected, he told these monks. <laughs> Vaishnavas actually adhere to the non-violence that is, is the supposed cornerstone of Buddhism. Vaishnavas actually adhere to the non-violence that, that is the supposed cornerstone of Buddhism. Himsa paramo dharma. Non-violence is the supreme religion. That's what they say in Buddhism, himsa paramo dharma but which Buddhists merely pay lip service to. He's really... Buddhism is itself violence, for its nihilism is spiritual suicide. It is common knowledge that most Buddhists eat meat on the plea that they do not personally kill animals and thus don't contradict the principle of nonviolence. This is Dalai Lama. 
you know, apparently he doesn't kill the animals or buy the flesh and cook it himself. But if somebody gives it to him, oh, I'm obligated to eat this because it's it's been brought to me, you know, by, you know. Hence, they are Buddhists in name only, for they do not observe the teachings of the Buddha. Yet so-called violence or nonviolence on the material platform is ultimately meaningless, sorry, Satyataka is telling me. For unless a person takes to shoot a bhakti, what is shoot a bhakti? Pure bhakti. He must partake in sundry forms of exploitation and envy towards others. You know, think of these the Buddhists out there in these fights across Asia, you know, like with this Rohingya group in uh, Myanmar. Anybody read about that? Now they tried to exterminate them, ran them out of the country there recently, sent them out to their death, really, you know, rain and cold weather and whatnot. And they've tried to get into Bangladesh, but they're Muslims and they, so there's some kind of a, it's like, what do you call that? A, a feud. It's like almost like a family feud, and Buddhists get into these things. And so you know, in one way, they they practice self-control. That's their whole thing is to control the mind. But as Sri Prabhupada told us, it's a material thing. It's only material, and it can only go so far. And Sri Saraswati Thakur says, um, ultimately, a person on that platform, only the material platform, must partake in sundry forms of exploitation and envy towards others. So we can think about that when we talk to these Buddhist people. So many people are interested in Buddhism. You know, they want to talk to us about that and teach us. So this is what our Acharya says. If worship in the Mahabodhi temple were entrusted to a Vaishnava Brahmana conversant with these Siddhantas, then and only then would Lord Buddha be properly respected and the grisly performance of animal sacrifice there be stopped. So Swati Thakur then asked the monks if they believe the deity. This is interesting. Do you believe the deity to be actually be the Buddha or different from him? Guess what they answered? Yeah, they said we accept the deity as an emblem of the Buddha. You know, it's, uh, it's something for us to use to worship. It's not the Buddha. They replied. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati then explained the futility of that conception. And also continued outlined various strains of Buddhism. He talked to him about the different, you know, ideas in, in Buddhism. He's such an authority, you can never say anything slightly off in front of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. It's so so fun and thrilling to read all these things about him, how strong he was. Um, so he outlined various strains of Buddhism, kindred and personalist theories. Even kindred theories and refutations of both according to Vaishnava Siddhanta. Srila Saraswati Thakur analyzed that the respect Buddhism commands is due to its promoting moralism in a world tending towards immorality. That's the whole thing. That's where that explains the whole thing. Why is Buddha partly, maybe not often completely? Also, my theory is that you don't have to change your life very much to be a Buddhist. But uh, also, uh, so it promotes moralism in a world that's tending towards immorality. Yet Buddhism is on the mental, not spiritual platform. 
Those are his teachings to the monks there. So thanks for letting me sneak that in here. I guess we'll hear more tomorrow, maybe. Anybody have any comments quick? Let us know. Let's go. I have a quick something I just want to say. Okay. We, me and Rada Sundari, we recently went to um, to a house of, of a couple uh, a couple that we just recently met. Mm-hmm. And they practice, uh, they practice Buddhism, a form of Buddhism where they, they do mantras and stuff in the morning and at night. <clears throat> I can't remember the form of Buddhism, but, you know, they were really, really interested in, in uh in Krishna consciousness, so we began mm-hmm. speaking to them about the the objective of Krishna consciousness, and and ultimately, um, the woman she's like, yeah, you know, our practice, honestly, all we do is we just ask for material things. That's all we really do. Mm-hmm. There's really no spiritual substance there. We're just trying to we're just trying to get good karma. See, she mm-hmm. admitted that. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was really interesting that she would be so honest. And, and mm-hmm. upfront about it. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, that is. Yeah. Well, a lot of devotees come from you know, trying to do things in Buddhism. I did that also. I was a lot of distress after my person died. And, you know, I was kind of by myself for a long time. I, you know, I was hurt and I started trying to chant Buddhist mantras. And that's what I had in my house was this Tibetan Book of the Dead. Yeah. I thought, yeah, Buddhism, maybe that's good. I started going to Christian churches and different things, chanting mantras. I remember I was riding my bike to work. I was getting older. I was getting in my mid, mid-40s, thinking, how long can I do this? I came miles to work uphill, carrying a backpack, and I'm 4 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> trying to chant mantras just so I could you know, make it through the bike ride. And uh, But later on, I met the devotees out. Now, now I'm getting a really nice explanation. Mm. Did you want to say something, Hari Puja Mai? I was just thinking about here most people are just, um, a lot of people, all people are stressed out. Mm. They're just attracted to the peaceful, the peacefulness. Yeah. Aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mostly. And you yeah. don't have to change your life much. That's what I, that's what I always kind of concluded. And a lot of them just don't know that there's more, too. Like, like when we're speaking right. to this we don't couple, know. And we're just talking to them about Krishna consciousness. Like they were just like, whoa, what? Like you mean there's more? Like you can go beyond this? Like, so they were, I mean, they were ecstatic about that. So. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I thought that was cool. Congratulations, Bhagavatam Kija. Bhagavatam Kija. Bhagavatam Kija. Bhagavatam Kija.